Thank you, Dick. It's good to see everyone out this morning. I, I just, um, that first song, camp, church camp, raise your hands. Anybody, anybody making those motions? Yeah, I felt like coughing every time we said sick. <laughs> uh, took me back to Brandon and the Chosen Angels. Some of y'all are going to get that, some of you won't. It's good to be with you this morning. Hey, we are continuing a sermon series that uh, we started a few weeks back, created for community and this whole idea that God didn't create us to be within this little shell of our own little relationship, but he created us to be in community, created us to face outward. And the first message during that series, Matt, kind of stressed the importance of that, all the way taking us back to creation. When God looked at man, he looked at Adam and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. I, I know as a minister, I've used that a lot of times in weddings. You know, groom, do what you're told. It's not good for you to be alone. But, but in reality, just take the words themselves. It's not good for man to be alone because we were created to be in community. We were created to be in relationships. Not only with one another, but in a relationship even more importantly, with our creator himself. And then the second week of that, uh, Jimmy gave us this idea that the glue that holds that together is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look around the room here today, uh, there's a whole lot of differences. And really, if you, if you really look, there's, we may not have that much in common. But the one thing that we do have in common is the gospel. The fact that we were created in the image of God, that he sent his son to this earth to die for us all, but yet all of us individually. And that gospel glues us together in community. It's almost a necessity for us to be in community. So as we continue this series, here's the idea I want to give you this week, that creating community requires faith, requires faith working through love. Creating that community, if we're going to be in that community, it requires faith. We go to Hebrews, faith is the evidence of something we can't see. It's the substance of something we can't touch. Let me give you a good example. Raise your hand if you're going to go eat lunch after church today. Okay, yes. Yes, some of us are more excited about that than others. We're going to get there. We're going to make our order with faith that when we pull our wallet out to pay for it, there's either going to be money in the wallet or a card in there, which is even more faith, where there's money somewhere that the card will take. I can't see the money that's in my account, but when I hand that debit card over, I have faith that there's going to be enough in there to pay for my meal. And I'm going to order accordingly. It's that evidence of something I can't see. Creating community requires faith. And here's why. You don't know how that's going to turn out. Anybody go back, go back to your first, first boyfriend slash girlfriend. You were going to marry them, weren't you? <laughs> that typically don't work out. But in community, relationships requires that you take steps, even though you may not know 
how it's going to work out. It requires faith working. Go to the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus. He says, faith without action is what? We know this. Faith without action is what? It's dead. It's useless. It's not any good. So in order for that faith to help us create community, it has to be active. It has to be working. It has to be, my favorite word in the world, intentional. And as it begins to work itself out, it's got to work through love. Now, we can break this word down into a lot of different things. You know, biblically, there, there's that philo, eros, agape. I, I don't want to overcomplicate it this morning. So I want to just give you a simple definition. If you love someone, you put their needs, their wants, their desires in front of your own no matter what. Did you get that last part? Because that last part's really important. No matter what. It's easy to do that when it benefits me, right? It's easy to put somebody's needs in front of my own if that's really where I want to go. But when we throw in that no matter what, all of a sudden it complicates things. If this is going to be bad for me, I'm still going to put your needs in front of mine. If this is going to be difficult, if this is going to require work and strain and effort, I'm still going to put your needs in front of mine. Biblical love is me putting the needs of someone else or a group of people in front of my own desires, my own wants, and my own needs no matter what. I can struggle with this, and I think some of you all probably can too because I grew up in the 80s, and in the 80s, Love was defined by the music that we listened to. Raise your hand if you're my 80s. 80s? Yep, yep, I know some of y'all. Yeah, think about it. 1984, Foreigner. They sung what? I want to know what love is. That, that same year, Tina Turner, she broke out, what's love got to do with it? Now you're going to sing over and over in your head the rest of the day. What's love got to do with it? And then it was defined again. Stevie Wonder called that rotary phone back in the 80s, and he said, I just called to say I love you. In 1987, White Snake, they asked, is this love? My favorite rapper, LL Cool J, he, he broke it out this way, I need love. And none of those None of those are biblical love. None of them. But a lot of times, our world and our culture and the society around us, they want us to redefine what it is so we get off tracks. It's Satan's way of just using those little, little pieces of bait to pull us in a different direction. Biblical love is this. It's putting the needs, the wants, and the desires of someone else in front of my own no matter what. And if we're going to create community, our faith, our belief in something, we don't know how it's going to turn out. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know how it's going to feel. Our faith must work itself out in love. It's got to be bigger than we are. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. I want to just for a few seconds break down before we go to the main text verses 16 through 18, 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, because if there's anybody in the Bible 
outside of Jesus, of course, who really thought they had a handle on this whole idea of love, creating community and love, is the Apostle John, because Jesus chose him as one of the first. He was one of the fishermen, follow me, okay, I'll follow you, and then they go off. He was probably also the youngest of Jesus' apostles. And he refers to himself as the one Jesus loved. In other words, it's kind of like Jesus had this group around him and they would ask, hey, who you love the most? Who you love the most? Who you love the most? Well, John didn't ask. <laughs> the apostle John, he just said, Jesus loves me the most. Nah, 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 nah. He had this handle on this thing. So, so in that relationship with Jesus, he wrote this to the believers uh, of the first century. 1 John chapter 3, 16 through 18. This is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus gave his life for us so that we should give our lives for our brothers and sisters. Suppose someone has enough to live and he sees a brother and sister in need but does not help. Then God's love is not living in that person. My children, we should love people not only with words and talk but what? With our actions. True caring. If we're going to create community, if we're going to live in community, it requires that our faith begins to work in love. It requires that we see our brothers and sisters, and it starts there because some of us live with our eyes closed. We're not looking for the needs. We're not looking for the opportunity to build community. That we see our brothers and sisters, that we have empathy for what they need, what they're struggling with, and we look for a way. We look for a way to help. We look for a way to provide a benefit. I want to give you probably one of the best examples I've ever seen or heard. She was, before she passed away, one of the missionaries that we support here at Poplar Ridge for a great number of years. Her name was Chris Garcia, and as a young college student, Chris Garcia went to Mexico on a mission trip. Now, there's been a lot of us who've been on mission trips to different places for different reasons, but she took this thing to a whole new level because she had such an empathy for the people that she'd come in contact with, and specifically the elderly people who found themselves either homeless or very poverty-stricken on the streets of Mexico. And as a college student, it broke her heart. So she went school, but it wasn't long after that that she'd come back to Mexico, really, to never leave She moved her entire life to care for the people of Mexico, with whom she had very little in common with. And she built community to the point where she was able to establish a youth camp, a nursing home an orphanage, a medical clinic, and over a dozen churches. We want to talk about creating community with a faith that requires working in love. When she passed away, she was still actively sharing the gospel in a faith-based community in Mexico, and she passed that down to the next generation. And not only did she pass it down to the next generation, but every mission group that come down there 
would be included in this circle of community. I know this because my wife is one of those people, and she would come back from that mission trip in Mexico with this bag of dried beans. And I'm like, what? The love for people coming down there and serving wasn't just coming from the mission group to the people of Mexico, but the Mexico people, the church there was saying, we love you too, here. This is all we have, but here. Faith that is working itself out in love. And I, Some of y'all are thinking, and I know this because this is what came to mind when I decided to use that illustration. Brad, I don't want to go to Mexico. <laughs> I don't either. But we need somebody to. But that isn't necessarily the requirement that God's called on your life. I want to give you another example. And this example is about the milkman. It's the gift of the milkman. Uh, there's this young lady now, well, she's not young anymore, but she was when this really exploded. Her name was Cheryl Pruitt. She was four years old when she started hanging out at her dad's country store. And almost every day, the milkman would come by. And when the milkman come by, he would look at this little girl, this four-year-old little girl, and he said, hello, how's my little Miss America doing today? And she'd giggle and smile. I'm doing fine, sir. Almost every day. Same, same wording, same, same conversation. Same, and initially, it was... You know, her, she'd just giggle and smile and give a response. But eventually it became a conversation and began to talk. And then it became a fantasy as a teenage girl that Little Miss America, ultimately it became a goal. And in 1980, on a stage in Atlantic City, Cheryl Pruitt was crowned, what? Miss America. Because of the influence, maybe, because of the encouragement. So it may be that God's calling you to go to Mexico like Chris Garcia. It may be that God's calling you to say, wake up and see the need around you. And it may just be a kind word. It may just be encouragement. It may just be, hey, can I help with this? But if we're walking around with our eyes closed, we're going to miss it. Within the New Testament, there are 59 places, 59 places that we are given instruction and I think commandment to be in community. We call them the biblical one another's, bear one another's burdens, be hospitable to one another, serve one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. 15 of those 59 are real simple. Fifteen of them are just love one another. Place the needs, the wants, the struggles of somebody else in front of your own. Just love one another. We can't create community. You can't be in community without your faith working out in love. This is best illustrated in the book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is one of my favorite uh, passages of Scripture. 
especially verse 8, and that's kind of where we get this whole idea of working in community. But what happens here is Paul talks through or writes this letter to the, the church at Thessalonica. He actually goes back through our last two sermons too. He talks about, hey, this is needed, this is necessary, this is what you're created for. He really stresses this idea of faith. You, you get into this relationship even though that you don't know how it's going to turn out. And, and he hits the gospel here. And then he talks about community itself. First Thessalonians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Brothers and sisters, even as he starts off this chapter, he's talking about community because they're not related. <laughs> brothers and sisters in Christ. W what makes us brothers and sisters is this common faith and relationship with Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, he says, you know our visit to you was not a failure. Before we came to you, we suffered in Philippi. People there insulted us, as you know, and many people were against us. But our God helped us to be brave and to tell you his good news. Our appeal does not come from lies or wrong reasons, nor will we trying to trick you. But we speak the good news because God tested us and he trusted us to do it. Notice the importance here of what he's trying to get across. You know, he's not just trying to be friendly here. He's not just trying to make a point. He wants to share the gospel. Hey, we, we didn't come with you with lies or trickery. We just want to share the gospel. And a lot of times we get in this idea of community and we want to help people. And that's great. Compassion is needed. But you know the greatest thing you can give to someone else? The greatest gift you can give is a clear, relevant gospel message that shares the hope of eternity. Now, sometimes I need to give physical things in order that that spiritual thing can be understood, absorbed, and accepted. And if I don't, then a lot of times I'm I'm the bullhorn guy. Anybody ever seen the bullhorn guy? You know what I'm talking about when I say the bull. You know the guy on the street corner with the bull. He's just basically telling everybody they're condemned. How many of you have ever stopped and said, "Hey, I'm interested in what he's saying. I think I will sit right down here and listen for a little while." I mean, nine times out of ten, and I understand what he's doing. I commend him, but but very few people are listening to that. And a lot of times how we come across, if we're not actually our faith working out in love, we come across like the bullhorn guy. You know, as Christians, we should be excited. We should be filled with joy, and that joy should come out, which should kind of relate something back so we have the opportunity not just to yell at somebody and say, here's where you're going if you don't straighten up, but, hey, here's what's helpful. Recently, our neighbors had some trees fall down. You know, and our house is right here, and these trees kind of went like this way. They didn't hit nothing. They didn't hurt nothing, just make a mess. And, and Mr. Peters, my neighbor to one side, he's in his 70s, and his is right there. And uh, chainsaw out, went over and helped him. He was very appreciative. But you know the greater gift? Well, Mr. Peters is a believer. He's at church this morning, so me relating that. But if he weren't, you know what would be better than me helping cut the tree up? Sharing Jesus Christ, because that's an eternal gift. 
Now, maybe I need to cut the tree up so that he will accept the gift. I need to build that community so the gospel comes in stronger. But then I've got to be ready, ready to share. So here we see the importance of the gospel uh, in this first section, this whole idea that we are living by faith, but that thing that holds our faith together is this common belief that Jesus is not just Lord, but He's Savior. In, in verse 4 again, but we speak the good news because God tested us and He trusted us to do it. When we speak, we're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know what we never tried, you know that we never tried, to influence you by saying nice things about you. We were not trying to get your money. We had no selfishness to hide from you. God knows that this is true. We were not looking for human praise from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have used our authority over you. But we were gentle. Is that love. We were gentle, like a mother taking care of her children. Faith working itself out in love. We were gentle, like a mother taking care of her children. Jesus uses this same picture. He's on this hilltop looking over Jerusalem. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how many times would I have loved like a hen pulling her chicks under her wings to protect you? Pulling you near. This picture of love. Paul says to this church, he don't know how this, at the time of the writing, he's already been through this. But as he's there, he don't know how this is going to turn out. He's just been run out of Philippi. And he comes into the Thessalonica. And eventually he gets run out of there too. But he says, no matter what, I'm going to work out my faith and love and build relationships in this community. Let's see how, and I'm going to do this like a mother caring for her children. Gentleness. And then he says this. Verse 8, we did this because we loved you so much. You have became so dear to us that we shared not only the gospel, not only the gospel of Jesus Christ, but our lives as well. Because you have become so dear to us. I love this picture of, hey, Jesus is first. We're going to open up. We're going to share our lives. We're going to share the gospel. Because we're going to share the struggles, the day-to-day. He goes on to say, remember how we made tents? Remember how we took care of ourselves so you didn't have to? Remember how our love was evident in that we weren't a burden? Creating community comes out when we begin to share our lives with one another. Acts chapter 2 Read through that first century church. They sold their property to give people when there was a need. They shared meals together. They had deep conversations. They prayed not just for one another, but with one another. They did this together. They shared lives. And that's what God has asked us to do still to this day. I think one of the struggles with the American church is that we go to church. 
I'm a local church guy. Hebrews, it says, forsake not the assembling together, summon or habit or doing, but encourage one another, even more as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. Don't forsake the assembling together, but I think there's a bigger picture that the church needs to really grab a hold of. It's not just that we go to church, but that we take the church everywhere we go. That we live in community. The whole idea of it's not just in these walls. I love those Sundays when, I probably shouldn't say this, Dave, but when we have to quieten you down to start. And it don't happen every Sunday, but occasionally it does, doesn't it? Where it's like, man, it's, it's been seven days since I've seen Stacy. I need to go over there and talk to him. That community of, okay, we've got we to get started here. That happens because we are the church, not because we're doing church. And sometimes I think we get those two mixed up. So what I want to encourage you with this morning, come to church. Come to church. But even more so, in your faith, the faith that you have in Christ Jesus, begin to work in love, not just to come to church, but to be the church. What does that look like? Mitch and Amy were a young couple. They'd been married about two and a half and three years, and they were sitting in a church service, much like we are today. And their minister, Matt, was my announcement about a young girl in their community at their local high school who was pregnant and she was due at any time her mom had gave her the option honey you can have an abortion you can put the baby up for adoption or you can find another place to live Mitch and Amy had just kind of pulled a heartstring. They talked about it that night and they called their pastor and said, whatever we need to do. Here comes that faith. Whatever we need to do, we want to help. That night they received a call from the hospital that the young girl was in the delivery room and the baby was coming. And then three days later, Mitch and Amy had a teenage girl who now was mom and a baby living in their home. I found that story in a book I've been reading called Ordinary. And really, there's nothing ordinary about that. But it's God's people doing what God would do in a time when somebody needs There are those needs in our community, people. A person who's struggling with depression, who needs a kind word and a gentle touch. That couple that lives down the road, they're struggling to pay the bills and still put gas in a car so they can take the kids to school. That kid in the classroom whose parents are, are abandoning them or neglecting them or even worse yet, abusing them. But nobody knows it. 
just see the side effects of it. The church has to open our eyes to those needs and start building community and love. It is our responsibility. That won't happen if we don't begin to share our lives with one another. The example, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you go through his life, he chose probably the worst people possible to build community with. It was a fisherman who had already been cast out by somebody else or they would be following a rabbi instead of following up in the family business. It was a tax collector who was considered a sinner and a traitor to his own country. It was a zealot. Simon the Zealot, one of Jesus' apostles. Had he met a Jew in any other circumstances, he'd have probably put a dagger in his back. But he's going to be an apostle. What a community that is. And he took that community. And in community, he touched lepers. He fed hungry. He hung out with the least of these. He overlooked a city and wept because it wasn't faithful. One of the things that amazes me most, he was betrayed. He was betrayed by a man with very, very clean feet. Because on the night that Judas betrayed Jesus, Jesus washed his feet. And then the greatest act of love. He went to the cross to pay the price for my sins and for yours. Faith working itself out in love to build community. And then he invited us into that community. I'm not worthy of that. And I don't mean to be derogatory, but you're not either. But yet, he still invites. So this morning, I just want to invite you to begin to share your life. Maybe it is something big, like Chris Garcia. Maybe it's time to quit your job and go do something different. But maybe it's something as simple as opening your eyes to the person sitting next to you and the need that they have in their lives. And saying, let me care enough to open up. Challenge you this morning. That the gospel of Jesus Christ would compel you to care enough to build community that would change life. You're probably here because somebody did that for you. Amen? Ripple effect. Do it for someone else. Let me pray for us.